All right, let's move on on uh, overnights and have a chat to our good friend Celeste Katz-Marston in Boston, and she joins us on the line now. Good morning to you, our time. Good morning. Lovely to talk to you as always. Thank you so much. Now, Celeste, um, I'm hoping it's because there's less crime in Boston, but I'm assuming it might not be. Uh, State officials are closing down your oldest men's prison in Massachusetts. Yeah, this is MCI Concord, Massachusetts Correctional Institution at Concord. And uh, this is part of what might become more of a trend uh, in Massachusetts and in other parts of the country. Uh, We are just seeing fewer people uh, incarcerated. They're trying to find alternatives and so on. So just fewer people are spending long periods locked up. And a lot of these prisons are operating well below capacity. So they're sort of consolidating them now. Yeah, so, well, it's just, it's a very old prison, isn't it? Very old. It's probably not the most pleasant place to be, I would have thought. Yeah, it it has a long and interesting history. The prison dates back to about 1878. Wow. And uh, was originally um, uh, sort of an overflow or a replacement for a a different prison in Boston and Charlestown. And so it has this very long and storied history. It's gone through a lot of iterations and so on. But uh, yeah, the big question for the town, of course, now is going to be, as it always is when they shut down a prison, what effect does that have on the community, on Mm. employment? And are they going to tear down the building? What will they do with the land? Is this acres and acres of land? And yeah, Concord, Massachusetts, of course, the, you know, the the cradle of the American Revolution, the shot hurled around the world and all those things all that, um, yeah. is a, a very affluent community. People want to move into this town. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they want to build housing there or some sort of community buildings, affordable housing, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Well, that could be a pity, but it may not be. I mean, here, if we've got a building that's significant, uh, they heritage list it. So it's, it's not a special kind of a building that could be saved. I'm assuming you're suggesting it's going to be knocked down. Well, that isn't always the case. And the last prison to shut down in Massachusetts has not been torn down. It was shut down relatively recently. So I don't think there's a big rush. Um, and I don't know if that Uh, that prison building had the same sort of historic nature going way, way back. But this building is in pretty tough condition. I think the state is effectively closing the prison, not only because there are fewer inmates that are uh, that have to be housed right now, but also because the building's in kind of bad shape and it would cost millions and millions and millions of dollars to fix the thing up, to renovate it. So um, maybe a private developer is willing to take that on yeah, or, yeah. or a community, but it's a, a massive job. It's, it's not in a, a spotless condition, to say the least. Yeah, exactly. So big job. I know uh, Malcolm X spent some time in MCI Concourse. Yeah, that's right. That's right. In 1947 and 1948, I believe he was serving something like uh, 15 months at uh, at the Concord prison. And he had been transferred around various prisons in in Massachusetts uh, during his uh, time served. But um, interestingly enough, uh, from what I understand, that is the place where Malcolm X really sort of started getting acquainted with the the philosophy and the practices of the Nation of Islam. Uh-huh. Yeah. Way back in 47, 48. Wow. Yeah. What a fascinating history. You see, I love history, Celeste. And, you know, if that building is not really awful, but it sounds to me like uh, they're going to say, well, it's going to cost too much to what, make it a museum or something. They wouldn't think about doing something like that. No. Uh, 
you know, potentially, I mean, there are all sorts of uses, and this is just very, very new news. This was only uh, announced a few days ago. Uh, actually, the newspaper I work for, the Concord Bridge in Concord, Massachusetts, broke that story. And so uh, everyone's sort of a little uh, surprised and shocked and figuring out what they might do with it. But, you know, yeah. we talking to one of the local officials here, he said, you know, it's an interesting question. But as far as repurposing the building, there aren't that many uses that require 20 foot walls. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's very true. Very true. Uh, now, moving on, they did say that if Nikki Haley was going to win anywhere, it'd be in New Hampshire. Well, she didn't, but what a voter turnout, huh? Yeah, people really, really showed up for this one. This is the uh, the biggest turnout primary of any party in the, the history of New Hampshire, which, of course, prides itself on being the, the first of the nation primary. But yeah. huge, huge turnout, uh, something uh, well over 300,000 uh, Republican voters and independent voters who can vote in a Republican primary showed up for this one. So people had something to say about Donald Trump versus Nikki Haley. Yeah. And he won. What was it? I think it was about 53 percent to 47. So it wasn't a bad vote for her, but he still won. So if he doesn't end up in jail, I mean, I guess he's going to be the nominee, isn't he? Well, it's very early. And I think that um, the primary process in the United States is something that people have been talking a lot about, maybe changing it up. And in Mm. fact, Joe Biden wasn't even on the ballot in New Hampshire. He did win the Democratic primary, but he was in fact not on the ballot because there's a movement to try to shift uh, the early voting, which sort of sets the stage and brings a lot of attention and gives people momentum or good news or bad news um, to get that away from states like sort of Iowa, New Hampshire, um, to make a move towards states more like South Carolina, Nevada, that have much bigger, more diverse populations. sort of rethinking the way we we have traditionally done our politics here. Yeah, right. But, well, he's going to gloat about it for sure. He's got the distinction, Donald. Yeah, the most votes ever, ever in a New Hampshire primary. Goodness me. <laughs> I tell yeah, you, I think it, he beat out, what, Bernie Sanders uh, uh, in 2016. Yeah. I think people really turned out for for Bernie Sanders. But, yeah, it's I mean, it's it's already a pretty amazing in a lot of ways, uh, amazing race to watch. But in some ways, it's it looks like you never say never. But I mean, it look, what it really comes down to is it's just going to be a Trump Biden rematch. Yeah, sort well, of. well, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but God, he gets around, Celeste. Uh, I listened briefly to uh, an ABC News bulletin, and he was there. I think he went back to Florida, and I think he's back in court uh, today, sometime on a at a defamation trial, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he has a, a very busy court appearance schedule. Goodness me. For a, for a, a presidential contender and a former president. You, you bet. I find it absolutely fascinating. I really do. Now, um, this is interesting. My listeners are going to go, what? If they want to know where you are. If you see a bald eagle carrying a stick, why would that be? <laughs> yeah, so this – well, first of all, I mean – I don't know if I've ever seen a bald eagle super close up. I mean, maybe no. at the zoo, but we we do we do have them here. But uh, it is nest building time, actually, and uh-huh. so uh, if people bird watching is is a huge thing. We have a big sort of naturalist, environmentalist population here in in Massachusetts, um, even even in Boston City, but also certainly as you move further out west, and certainly also along the coastline where you have a lot of stuff going on. Right, but, yeah. Um, you know, people 
interact with the environment here with nature and so the idea of bird watching or tracking and it's cool because people also do a lot of sort of crowdsourcing and monitoring like it's it's a big place for for bird, bird counting and animal spotting um certainly amateur weather observers are very active in massachusetts so people do get into it the environment is not something they either sort of see through their window or on tv yeah, the bald eagle, goodness, it's a very big bird, isn't it? Just a beautiful bird. Are they okay? They're not endangered in any way? I don't think they're endangered anymore. I think that, right. and obviously for us, the bald eagle being our national symbol, mm. uh, you know, has a, a very uh, big place in, in a lot of people's hearts there. But I, I think that uh, at this point, I do not believe they are endangered, but maybe one of your callers or texters will, uh, will yeah, prove me wrong yeah. on that one. And are they are they shy? I mean, do you, do you see them up close in the suburbs? Have you really got to go out, uh, we'd call it the bush, or into the countryside to see them? Yeah, I mean, I think that you may see them from afar. I mean, in certain animals, you know, the, the ecosystem obviously is getting all wacky now. Where you have people having a lot more close encounters, especially with like, bears, for example, um, animals that are sort of bolder and are willing to eat garbage and so on. We yeah, have a big right. coyote. Yeah big coyote problem yeah. in in Massachusetts. Um, so I don't know. I haven't seen any bald eagles sort of going through my trash or <laughs> trying to eat my dog. But I mean, I, you know, again, I, I'm sort of, I'll keep an eye out just in case now that you make me think of it. Yeah, you haven't seen any bald eagles picking up sticks in your own backyard is what you're saying, right? Not today. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, they, they are just, a, when, I see, when you see them, magnet, very big, aren't they? It's a big bird. The bald eagle, yeah? yeah, yeah, and I mean they're really sort of majestic, yes. and powerful, yeah. and they convey. I mean, it's easy to see why they're the the national symbol. Although Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers, was uh, greatly in favor of making the turkey our national symbol. Oh, uh, well, really? I'm yeah, gl I'm glad you thought you, the I'm turkey was sort of humble yeah. and no nonsense. I'm glad you didn't do that. And apparently, uh, in your part of the world, you can send an email if you see a bald eagle carrying a stick. Yeah, they're just trying to keep as many eyes out there as possible. But I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they have a formal advice on this, but I would suggest if you do see a bald eagle, like, don't pet it. <laughs> oh, no, they've got very, they've got a very big beak and big talons on the end of those feet, haven't they? Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, I think this is a worldwide subject. I really, it certainly is here. Um, there's no uh, return to office mandates that don't help companies make more money. So what we're suggesting is if you return to the office, it's not necessarily beneficial to the company. Is that it? Yeah, there was a, a study out from the University of Pittsburgh, the Katz Graduate School, no relation, sadly. But um, they're saying that bringing people basically forcing people, mandating people to come back into the office, which a lot of people didn't want to do after the pandemic for a lot of reasons. No, that's right. They're saying doing that might not help your company make a lot more money, but it can really aggravate your workforce. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, it can be, it could be done and is done. I think we might have discussed this before. In my business, radio, you can do it with equipment and from home. And I suppose in your business too, you could. Uh, in essence, there's lots of editors at large uh, work at home, could you not? Yeah, I mean, the technology has really changed the way uh, the media does business in general. Um, I do actually, as a matter of fact, I do a radio program in uh, New York City, where you know, I'm originally from New York, and I do still do a program there in the city. Um, and I do that remotely. 
and right. yeah. it's fine. And the, the quality of the broadcast is, is very clear and very good and so on. I mean, look, there's never ever really going to be um, uh, a substitute for on the ground, in-person reporting, going to somebody's house, seeing sure. something yeah. for yourself, uh, you know, making photographs yourself as opposed to using a, a map that you find online. But there are some functions, at least, that can be done remotely. Editing, for example, um, certainly a lot of business side functions, I mm. think, yep. uh, could be done. So, But they're basically saying, if you think that this is sort of the the panacea, if you think that bringing people back into the office is going to jack up your profits, don't think that because, in fact, it might make workers sort of less satisfied, less productive and more inclined to look for a different job. Well, that's it, isn't it? And you want to keep your workers happy. I think it's pretty much a case of uh, give and take, isn't it? And not be so um, you know, hard and set in your ways and saying, well, you have to come back to the office and work here. I mean, you know, just a, a little bit of compassion wouldn't hurt, would it? I'm, I'm for compassion. I support <laughs> compassion in general. I do. And look, there are some people who can't do their jobs at home. And I think we saw that sure. during the pandemic when they had we had all had these uh, lockdown or stay at home. You know, a, a doctor can't stay at home. Uh, an ambulance driver can't stay at home. Hmm. Uh, teachers can stay at home if they must and teach online. But I think we've all come to the understanding that it is nowhere near as effective as, as doing it in person. Um, you know, there are there are a lot of public service and customer service jobs yeah. that you just can't do from your home no. and that people rely on very much. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, That's true. If I could run a grocery store from my you know living room sofa, that might be super, but I can't. Then yeah. <laughs> people would not be able to eat. So I think that it's certainly on a case by case basis. But I think that a lot of companies are also trying to give people at least flexibility, asking people to come in some of the time, if not all of the time. And I think some people are finding that to be a more palatable option than just uh, enforcing a strict be in the office policy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, there's some people who just have to go to work, and I suppose they get jealous. And you know, one of the arguments put forward here—I don't know if it's the same over there—is, well, you know, it's all well and good, but you know, you might have the uh, the tendency, uh, the temptation, if you like, to yeah, work from home. But you know, one morning, you know, oh, I'm not going to get up. I'll, I'll get up later, and you'll get up and have a shower at half past nine and start working at ten. Where if you got to go to work, you got to get up and get yourself ready and get going. So, a uh, bit of argy bargy both ways really hey yeah i mean look i think the question may be how do you measure productivity there are some places mm, and true. i worked for some places where you know good a good functioning uh team or company meant everyone was sitting in their chair at nine o'clock and on the other hand it's supposing people are not sitting in their chair at nine o'clock but they're doing uh excellent work at nine o'clock at night and if they're not missing deadlines if they're responding to people's messages and i think there's been some research that showed that um a lot of in a lot of cases people actually worked more when they were in uh at home because there was less of a sort of a bright line between i am at work and i am at home and also they were spending less time commuting they were able to start working um at an earlier time or spend more hours working as opposed to commuting or being out to lunch that kind of thing so yeah, it, i think the measurement matters all of the above in, in our vernacular it'd be just being called being fair dinkum with each other i think that's what we'd call it here yeah <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to talk to you as always. Thanks, Celeste. Always a pleasure. Celeste Katz-Marston from the US of A. You're listening to Tim Webster. Overnights on ABC Radio and on the ABC Listen app.